Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. We've been doing a series over the last several weeks looking at how strange the Christmas story is. And we kind of used a parody of that famous, uh, I should say popular, um, Netflix series, Stranger Things, one of my favorites, and, and it's because I'm a child of the 80s, and I uh, just love that that whole uh, series, but you know, you got to admit that Christmas is kind of strange, that we've even invented some strange traditions, and and I understand, like, we, we give out gifts because, you know, that's what the Magi did originally to Jesus, and it just kind of has grown from there, but have you noticed that gift giving has gotten even stranger lately, like, how many have ever done a white elephant gift exchange? Yeah? Where you just wrap up something randomly that you find in your closet. And uh, uh, this is when I was a college pastor back at our Bakersfield campus that we did one for our college ministry. And we actually had somebody that brought in a bottle of elephant poo and wrapped it up and said, this is our white elephant gift. We were like, that wasn't supposed to be like literally like something from an elephant. But it, it can get crazy. I mean, we, we, honestly, we buy things that people don't want for people that we barely know. It's like, what do you get? And I don't know if you have that relative that you just feel obligated to buy for, but you don't really know what to get them. You know, they probably aren't going to be able to use whatever it is that you're going to get them. But I noticed something that is trending this year. Uh, they're called prank boxes. Have you heard of these? Have you heard of this phenomenon? Well, I, I, I bought some and uh, just to kind of let you know. So the idea is you get a box and then you put something in the box that is not the item uh, that it is. And I don't know if you guys can see this, but here is it's an advertisement for a coffee 
Brewer. It says bath and brew, shower, coffee maker, and soap dispenser. It says finally you can take cream with your conditioner. That just doesn't sound right. So the, that's the idea is you get, you know, give somebody a gift and they're like, what in the world is this? Uh, here's another one. The pet butler. You know, this sounds like something that somebody would get you for Christmas, right? Where, where it's a little vest you put on and, and then, you know, you put your little wine glasses and champagne. They even have a small one for your gerbil. Turn your pet into a butler. The pet butler. Just what everyone wanted for Christmas. And this, I, I thought this one was pretty funny. The jigsaw puzzle. Now, you might not get this at first glance. Marla got it. It's all blue. Except for one little place there for the moon. So it's a jigsaw puzzle, right? And then on the back it has other ones that you can get, right? All grass. All goody sack. I don't, I don't know. The, here's my favorite though. The earwax candle kit. It says, create a candle as unique as yourself. That's just gross. And in the back it says, your ear is a treasure trove of free usable wax. And I'm, now can you imagine you're given this gift, you know, the idea is, is you're so ridiculous in what it is, and then you put, you know, a diamond ring in it or whatever. So they're called prank boxes. This is a true story, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this story. But Tara and I have been married now for 26 years. We got, we're, she was a December bride. We, you know, I know it's a Hallmark movie, but it's a real life thing too. All right. Um, so December 12th was our, our uh, wedding anniversary. So we got married two weeks before Christmas. So we had this understanding that we were so busy with the wedding and then we went on our honeymoon that we got back literally two days before Christmas. So the understanding was, hey, we're not going to get gifts for each other because we're, you know, we come back from the honeymoon, we unwrapped all of our wedding gifts. That was our Christmas gift. Well, see, she snuck in and went shopping without me knowing about it. And we were at her parents' house on Christmas Eve. And then, you know, they are doing their gifts and we got gifts for them. They got gifts for us. But then she breaks out the gifts for me that she got for me. And I had nothing. I had not, literally, I had nothing to give. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. You know, it's one thing for your coworker, you know, where you're looking for something like, here's a candle, you know, I did, um, but, but this is my wife, my brand new wife. I'm going, I have, I am in trouble. Now this is in the nineties when everything was still shut down on, on Christmas Eve and Christmas. And I'm, I'm panicking. Going, you know, I, I don't have anything for her, but I don't want to tell her in front of my new in-laws that I've just cheesed out and, and got my wife nothing for Christmas. And she's sitting there smiling. And I go, you know what? I'm saving your Christmas gift for Christmas, trying to buy myself time, thinking that somewhere, somehow I will be able to get her a gift. It, it bought me some more time. And so she really thought I was cranking her. And, and the reality was I had no gift for it. So I'm sitting there racking my brain and, and I called all these places. Everywhere is closed except AMPM. AMPM was the only place open. And so at 4 a.m., I snuck out of her parents' house and her dad, you know, as a light sleeper is like, where's Jim going? 
I'm going Christmas shopping at AMPM. And I go to AMPM and I buy everything, you know, in that, that section, you're like, who shops at AMPM for this stuff? I do. You know, I bought all of this stuff. I bought her like dice. I bought her like the, 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 the little air fresheners for the, the, the car, you know, mirror. And, and I'm just thinking of like, what could I buy her just to fill her stockings up and just like, you know, and then give her a bunch of cash. I don't know. Uh, but I snuck back in, filled the stocking up. And I knew, I mean, I knew I was busted and, and, uh, she realized that I wasn't pranking her, that I really did not get her a gift. And that's my sad story of trying to, to, to pull off the, the big Christmas goof. Uh, and still to this day, she's like, remember that year you didn't get me anything for Christmas? 26 years later. What she doesn't tell you is the year before that, man, I did her, I, I had like 10 gifts, you know, I, I blew all my paycheck before we were married. I'm like, I am, I am wooing you. And then I got the ring on the finger and then I'm like, I get you nothing. I, I don't know. It's a horrible husband. Gosh, I've learned a lesson. You know, you always have a gift, you know, whether it's an earwax kit or something, you just, you have a gift. But I think about the Christmas story. This is a great transition, by the way, that I I think this like if you think about the original Christmas story, this is like a huge prank to the religious establishment of how God would come to earth. They're thinking he's going to come as this giant, you know, ruler that's going to sit on a throne. But yet God decides he's going to come as a baby and eventually take a place on the cross. A crazy story. I saw a video a couple years ago. You may have seen it. But it's the telling of the Christmas story through the lens of children. But they use adult actors that actually use the kids' narration to act out the Christmas story. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen, and it's so funny. So we're going to tell the Christmas story from a kid's perspective. Go ahead and watch this video. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry. And then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager and I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. So Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. 
us. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise man heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold ring and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. <laughs> Now maybe, <laughs> pretty good, huh? Now maybe it didn't quite happen like that, but I still think it was, it was a well done video and, and uh, it's still strange and, and it's still odd and you think about the whole story on how God chose to come to earth. And we talked about this in the last couple of weeks, we talked about just the significance of heaven coming to earth. And last week we looked about the family tree of Jesus and the people that God chose to be in the family of the Savior of the world. And today I, I want to look at two specific things that are strange about this whole Christmas story is that the place where he was born and the people that were invited. And these are two significant aspects of the Christmas story that I believe we need to understand and kind of uh, kind of get some background on and why is it that God chose these ways to bring in the Messiah, to bring in the Savior of the world? So we want to look at, first of all, the place where he was born, the place where he was born. In uh, Luke chapter 2, and I don't know if you guys, I'm just kind of skipping around, it says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, Tara and I had our kids in the 90s, and it was kind of a big deal back then. Uh, private birthing rooms were just kind of becoming a popular trending thing, and with all of these amenities in there. I mean, we walked into the private room that we were going to have our children in, and you know, especially with Kylie, our firstborn, it had a shower in the room. We're like, whoa, this is amazing. And you think about, like, the Savior of the world is being born in a barn. Then the religious establishment assumed that when the Messiah would come, he would immediately be in a palace. He would immediately be surrounded by all the influence and wealth you could possibly imagine. So you can imagine how this just threw him a major curveball. They missed it. Even when Jesus was doing his miracles, they would always go back to the very beginning and go, I know he's doing miracles, but it doesn't make sense because we knew 
the baby Jesus. We knew that, that he was born to this, this teenage mom and, and there wasn't even a place for him. She gave birth in a barn. I heard a pastor this week that was trying to think of a creative way to do the Christmas message and he kind of looked at all the Christmas decorations in the church and he said, you know what? We're, we're making the story too sanitary. So without any of the church leadership knowing, he came in overnight, took down all the Christmas decorations and he had a ranch. And so he went to one of the stables where his ranch was at and pulled out all of the hay, not new hay, but used hay that was in a couple of his stables. And he lined the whole church with this dirty hay so that as people came in, he said, you could literally smell the manure in the room. And people were just shocked. They were just like not understanding what was going on. And he said, the reason I did this is because we have sanitized this message so much. It loses the value of just how tremendous this message was that God was sending to the earth. That God is willing to enter in to the mess, into the poop of our lives. And so the smellier it was in the room, he said, the louder the message was of what God was really saying to the earth. That I'm coming to you in spite how smelly you human beings really are. I'm willing to leave my comfort of heaven for the poop on earth. That's a message. It's the place where he was born. And uh, Isaiah 55, an Old Testament prophecy, talking about the way God loves to move among his people. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love this passage in Isaiah because what it does is it comes against the arrogance that sometimes we're guilty of bringing into our religious traditions. That we think we have God figured all out. And what I've discovered is the more arrogant you become, the more blind you become also to truth. And I think there was a religious arrogance at the time that Jesus came to this earth that really blinded a lot of these people from the reality of what was happening, that the Savior of the world was coming in the form of a baby. Now let me talk about the second part of this, and that is the people that were invited. And this is probably the craziest part of the story to me because these shepherds were invited. And for us, I mean, we've kind of sanitized the message, and we think of these shepherds like even on the kids' video, like these guys were just, you know, Average Joes that were being invited in to participate or, or just watch this event take place and to absorb it. But shepherds were kind of the low end of the totem pole. They were the bottom of the barrel. I mean, people despise shepherds. They had an unclean job, meaning that they could not participate in any of the religious activities because they were ceremonially unclean. I mean, you can imagine their sandals probably always were dirty. Uh, they, they always had a smell about them. They were looked down on so low by society that there was a common phrase back in biblical times that, that said that um, how you know a shepherd is lying is every time he opens his mouth. 
their testimony would not be welcomed or received or uh, uh, used as evidence in, in the case of a crime or in case of a court hearing. I mean, these guys were despised, to say the least. And it's so awesome for me to hear that God gives out VIP passes to the biggest event in the world. And not just in that time, but in all of human history. And he gives the passes to shepherds. These guys that were looked down on. And he says, I want you there. I want you to witness this. And there's some scholarly works that are out there kind of showing like, well, maybe there was a reason that shepherds were being brought in for this ceremonial reason and that ceremonial reason, you know, to, because he's the Lamb of God. And, and as much as I want to believe that, everything that we have in Scripture really points to the fact that God chose the shepherds mainly because he had a message for the rest of humanity and that he's after the broken, the marginalized, those that are left out of culture and society. And he wants them to know that he's inviting them in to the best thing that could ever happen to their life. And that is a relationship with God. I think that's such the message of Christmas. Matter of fact, the big message of Christmas, I have this on a slide because this is your takeaway today. The big message of Christmas is everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. There's not one person on the face of this earth that doesn't matter to God. Everybody does. And the shepherds being invited in to witness this event to me is one of the biggest exclamation points to this reality, to this truth. Jesus is preaching for the first time in his hometown of Nazareth and he comes in and they give him the scrolls of Isaiah. And I've told you this before as your pastor because it's one of the most profound teachings that Jesus gives us in the Gospels. And in Luke chapter 4, he, he specifically, purposely opens the scroll to Luke chapter, or, or to Isaiah chapter 61, which is found in our Bibles in Luke chapter 4. And this is what he says. He says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his, and was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he says, this that was promised to you so many years ago is being fulfilled by my presence here. And the reason I know the message of Jesus as a baby was that God was trying to tell everybody that everyone matters to him is that Jesus' lifestyle echoed this very same thing. If you look at the things that Jesus did with his life, everything that we just read in Luke chapter 4 took place. He went to the poor. He took care of the people that were overlooked, and he gave them attention. One of the stories that just, just, ah, oh, I love it so much, is there was a man for 38 years, he had been sitting at this pool that was known to heal people. The first person that would get in this pool every year would be healed. 
For us, that would be equivalent to like having a clinic that has free medical care, but they're only going to serve so many people per year. And this poor guy who couldn't walk, every time he would get the ability to get into the water, somebody else would jump in front of him and he would never get his miracle. So for 38 years, he sat there waiting for his miracle, but he was crippled, so he had nobody to help him get his miracle. But one day, Jesus was cruising around the area, and all these sick people that were gathered around this pool waiting to get their healing, Jesus fixes his attention on this guy that for 38 years had been overlooked, and he says, today I'm going to give this man the miracle that he's been waiting for. And he goes up to this man, and he lays hands on him. This man is able to walk again. Amazing. God cares about the overlook. Matter of fact, I, I want to give you four different ways that Jesus really manifests this idea of Luke chapter four. And the number one way, if you want to put that bullet up there, is he came for the overlooked. He came for the overlooked. The second is that he came for the oppressed. There's a story in scripture where there's several stories in Scripture where Jesus would deliver people that had demons. And this one particular man had a demon for a long time, and, and it was so bad that nobody wanted anything to do with this guy. He was raging all the time. They tried to chain him up. He'd break the chains. He was so bad, and he was so full of darkness that he would hang around graveyards. That's how dark he was. He had all kinds of demons in him. And Jesus came on the shore one day, and it changed this man's life forever because Jesus came into this man's life and delivered him of every demon that had been harassing him and possessing him for all of these years. And you may not be able to relate to somebody that's demon-possessed. Maybe you've never seen somebody that's demon-possessed. I have seen a few guys and few gals that were demon-possessed. And that may be foreign to you, but probably something that's not foreign to you is inner demons. And matter of fact, culture talks about inner demons a lot. Matter of fact, mainstream music will have songs about inner demons. And there's a, a band um, called Imagine Dragons. I don't know, they're based in Las Vegas, but they have a song talking about the inner demons that so many people struggle with in their life. And we know what these inner demons do. They, they torture the soul. They have these dark thought bubbles that they just produce in your head that you can't get away with. And you're like, why am I thinking these dark thoughts, these, these evil thoughts just keep coming into my mind? They provoke your lust or your anger, your jealousy. And maybe one of these things gets ramped up. and You're like, why, why do I feel like this thing is out of control? Like I, I can't control this. They enslave you to destructive habits. You know what you're doing is going to damage you, your family, but you do it anyway. This is what I mean by talking about your inner demons. And Jesus came to set those free that were oppressed, not just by people that were possessed by spirits that would haunt them like this, but even people that were oppressed with spirits. Number three is he came for the outcasts. You think about stories where Jesus would come up to people that were sick. And back in biblical times, they had this thing called leprosy. And leprosy was a skin disorder. And it was highly contagious. And it was very um, aggressive. And once you caught leprosy, there was really no cure. And your body would just basically deteriorate until you would die. You would lose limbs. It was a horrible disease. 
And it was so contagious that once people would catch it, you were ostracized out of the community because they didn't want to affect the rest of the community. So if you caught leprosy, you were banished to be outside the city walls. And a lot of times they would have their own leper community and they would try to take care of each other. And very often these guys would be starving because nobody wanted to touch them. Nobody would want to hang out with them. And so one day Jesus was going and this man knew of Jesus's healing power. He said, Jesus, son of God, if you were just willing to touch me, I know I would be healed. And Jesus stopped in his tracks and he says, I am willing. And not only healed this guy, but he touched him. Which was just a major cultural no-no. You don't touch somebody with leprosy, but Jesus did. Because that's the kind of savior he was. He would come to those that were outcasts and he says, no, you, I want to touch you. I, I want to, I want to give you something that I know you desperately need. And number four, Jesus came for the outsider. There was a woman one time sitting at a, or Jesus was sitting at a well and a woman came to draw water and nobody would talk to Samaritans. And it was a kind of a, a culture that was despised by the Jews. And so she came into Jesus's space and she even knew that Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And so she just gave Jesus his space. But Jesus initiated the conversation. And in the conversation, he ends up telling this woman some prophetic truths about her life and how she'd been shacking up all these dudes. And he calls her out on that and says, hey, God's got a better way for you to live your life. And she's like, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. But see, Jesus didn't have walls up. Jesus said, I don't care who you are. You're a human being that God loves and you matter to God. So I don't care if you're a Samaritan. I'm going to talk to you because I want to introduce you to a relationship with God that you desperately have been needing in your life, but you didn't even know it. You've been trying to fill your needs through these men, but you'll never have your needs filled through men. You're only going to have your needs filled through a relationship with God. So Jesus came and he started demonstrating this kind of God through his lifestyle. So it makes sense to me that the shepherds were invited in. They got the VIP passes to the big event. Why? Because God wanted to make a proclamation to the world that they matter to God and that God desperately wants a place in their lives. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you can identify with one of those categories. Maybe this morning you're kind of feeling a little overlooked. Maybe you feel a little ignored. Maybe you thought some family members should have sent you that Christmas card. Or maybe somebody should have called you on Thanksgiving and they didn't. Maybe friends that you've been seeing active on social media, but they haven't liked any of your posts. Now, all of us can feel a little overlooked in our lives. But that kind of, kind of makes you kind of feel ignored. And it can kind of make you start feeling invisible. Like you don't matter. And I've talked to people that have let that idea fester. Let me tell you, it can get dark quick in that space. When you start feeling overlooked. But Jesus came specifically for those people that feel overlooked in their life. He came for those that are oppressed. And I don't know, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, that's me. 
I just, I feel like I have these inner struggles that I have no control over. Whether it's my thoughts, whether it's these emotions, whether it's just simply these habits that I've allowed into my life that I know are destructive, but I can't help myself. And you've got that oppression where you just feel like you're bound up. Jesus came to set you free from that so that you don't have to be bound to anything, my friend. That nothing holds you hostage when Christ enters your life. But maybe you feel more like this idea of being an outcast. This is kind of a person that you just kind of feel rejected. That people kind of set you to the side. Maybe you've even done something. I had a situation over the last month where I didn't mean any harm, but this person interpreted some of the things that I did in a negative way, and because of that, he rejected me. And it hurts when you are purposely being overlooked by people or uh, being outcast, I should say, by people. And I don't know, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like you've been rejected. Maybe even you've been rejected by the church. You stepped up to serve at another church somewhere. And in that space, maybe the leadership decided that they were going to go a different direction and you just kind of felt rejected. And I tell you, the more people I talk to, the more I realize that it's not Jesus that people really despise in our culture. It's the church. And part of the reason I believe that God is giving birth to a new church in Thousand Oaks is because he knows there's a lot of his children that need a fresh start with church. That need to be renewed in their hope that church is still the hope of the world. That I know that in that space sometimes it could be very hurtful that these spiritual leaders in your life reject you. I felt that way in my history of being a part of the church, but Jesus came for those people that feel like outcasts, and he says, I'm willing to get near you even when other people want to get rid of you. Maybe you more identify with the outsider, just going, this church stuff, way weird to me. I've never been to church. Kind of odd that people would come and give up their Sunday morning and come to golf, to a golf course and not golf, come to worship God. But let me tell you something. It may be weird to you, but I will attest what many people in this room will also attest that following Jesus changed my life. Following Jesus Help me become a man I would never be able to be. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when Christ enters your life, you are born again. That means that you don't just become a better version of yourself. That means that you become a new creation where old things pass away, all things become new. And this may, this space may feel weird to you because you've grown up outside of the church and maybe you, you haven't had a relationship with God and maybe you feel like I've done too many things for God to ever receive me. 
I want you to think of that woman that day at the well with Jesus. Of all the things that she had done in her life, but yet Jesus initiated a conversation with her. And today, Jesus wants to initiate a conversation with you. And he tells you today that you matter to God. He didn't come as a ruler and take his place on a throne. He came as a baby to take a place eventually on a cross so that he could show you just how much you matter to him. I heard it this week and I just thought it was so cool. It says, following Christ will make your life better and will make you better at life. Maybe you feel like that outsider that I don't know what it means to be a Christian. Let me invite you in on how easy and simple this is. It's just making a decision to say, you know, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to take the life that he lived and I'm going to say, God, I want you to lead me by following Jesus. That's as simple as it is. And that's the message that Jesus gave to the people that were around him. He just simply said, follow me. And their lives were changed forever. I want to end by giving you a psalm. Psalm 34, verse 18. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We reviewed this in the tragedy of what happened in our community last month. That I believe God visits us more in our brokenness than He does when everything is hunky-dory. You know, the land of Hunky Doryville, where every, you know, you're just like, if somebody asks you, hey, how's life? You're like, it's good. Pretty good. Doing great. And it just seems that in that space that there's not a need for God because kind of things are in control. But let me tell you, that's a mirage. And there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with relationships. There's, there's nothing wrong with this life, per se. But what happens is you can get so carried away with these things that it can blind you to your true need for God in your life. Now, all of a sudden, something happens in one of those spaces and you're faced with the reality that, you know what? My life is not hunky-dory. <laughs> My life is broken. And that's in that place where God says, all right. Now I get to come near you because you see the need for me. I think one of the reasons the shepherds were invited in because the shepherds probably more than anybody in their culture realized their need for God. And when you come to a place of brokenness, I believe one of the reasons that God comes near to that is because he says these people understand they need me. Remember earlier I told you that arrogance can blind you from the truth? When life hurts, it has that painful ability to put you in front of truth with the reality that you need God in your life. And there's no other religion that this world has ever known where God would actually come and give his life so that you might have life that would actually die so that you might live. Every other God or religion is a power-hungry God that wants to just show His power and get even with you and give you all that you deserve in the wrath that you deserve. But yet, the God of Christianity shows us that God is nothing like that. 
You don't need to do anything except make a decision that you're going to follow him with your life. And whatever thing that is holding you back, being overlooked, being oppressed, being that outcast, being that outsider, he's here to say, I came for you because you matter to God. Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.